Hi, David Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1234. How many lies before you belong to the lie? Part 7. This is being recorded on March 14th of the year 2022. Before we get to the subject material of the program, as always, three links. These are at the top of each article length for the record description on the SpitfireList.com website. I turn every program into an article length description so that listeners who find this program to be uh, extremely pedantic, and it is nothing if not pedantic, can read the printed sources from which my material is taken. At the top of each written for the record description, and at the top of each Food for Thought article at the left-hand side of the front page, there are three links. One of those links will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of which are made by our brilliant contributing editor, Tara Fractal, and some by other intelligent listeners as well. The second link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made by sister station WFMU. Uh, So if podcasting or podcasts are the best way for you to consume the For the Record broadcast, then sister station WFMU is doing just that. They are podcasting For the Record. They are also archiving each For the Record program, and there are links to the written descriptions that I've just mentioned. And the last link will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work, basically uh, virtually everything that is on the SpitfireList.com website. Roughly 43 years of my work, plus all of the comments, that is both written and audio work. They are available for a very nominal tax deductible fee uh, f- at a link that is on the SpitfireList.com website. I get no money whatsoever from this, and as I have indicated, I think we are basically at the end, <laughs> and uh, I can't stress strongly enough that listeners should get that flash drive, and that way they will become repositories for a massive Bobby of documentation about just what the hell happened. Now, The title of this program is taken from a quote from the late brilliant political comedian Mort Saul, who in his 1976 autobiography Heartland observed that, quote, how many lies can you allow yourself, no, actually the, the quote is, how many lies before you belong to the lie? Meaning basically, how many lies can you allow yourself to believe before you belong to the lie? Uh, Mort Saul was one of Jim Garrison's investigators when that New Orleans DA took on the task of investigating the assassination of President Kennedy. And uh, we are going to be, <laughs> uh, I guess in this program one could say, uh, uh, how many lies before you belong to the lie meets the Oswald Institute of Virology, uh, a very uh, disturbing uh, body of information is surfacing, albeit heavily and predictably heavily spun by the U.S. and the West. Uh, more about that later in the program. As I have stated, the coverage of the Ukraine war, the war itself and its attendant 
coverage, particularly in the West, have served rather like the philosopher's stone of the old alchemists that was reported or mythologically rumored to turn lead into gold. And uh, what this particular form of political and historical and ideological alchemy is doing is transforming the U.S., most of the people and institutions in it, and most of the people and institutions in the West in general, into the equivalent of the Ukrainian Institute of Historical Memory. That is the Orwellian uh, agency in Ukraine, headed up by Volodymyr Vyotrovich, that is completely revising the World War II history of Ukraine and basically making the Nazis and their collaborators out to be good guys. We have been talking about that, and I think uh, exemplifying that is a pair of articles. One of them actually is a uh, an op-ed column in the New York Times, uh, not yesterday, but the Sunday before. That would be the 6th of March by Liv Golinkin. Uh, it men- makes no mention whatsoever of the OUNB's ascent in Ukraine and the Nazification of key institutions in Ukraine, including the intelligence services, the military, the education department, and uh, the police. Uh, That was iconically embodied in the picture that I have featured on many of the written descriptions for For the Record and also on many of the recent Food for Thought posts. That is a picture of the celebration in Lvov, Ukraine, in the summer of 2018, of the 75th anniversary of the founding of the 14th Waffen-SS Division, or Galician Division. That was a Ukrainian Waffen-SS Division, many of whose members were recruited from the OUNB and the UPA. Uh, Basically, as I said last time, what kind of government celebrates the SS? I bet you've only seen one government in the past celebrating the SS, and that was the Third Reich. Well, if you celebrate the SS, uh, a government that does that is a Nazi government. And uh, in on December 24th of 2021, when the UN took a vote condemning Nazism, 130 nations voted for the resolution, two voted against it, the U.S. and Ukraine. That pretty much embodies things. I would caution that we are being lied to big time in this country. I I find myself frustratingly sparred for accurate battlefield reporting on what is actually going on in Ukraine. Uh, It does not appear to me that the uh, Russian strategy is particularly well-informed, leading a long armored column such as the one that is north of Kiev and approaching it, uh, exposed on its flanks the modern anti-tank weaponry is, uh, well, maybe it's suicidal. I'm wondering what in the world they are doing, but at the same time, we are also uh, being fed deliberate propaganda about all kinds of aspects of the war itself. Uh, The heroic journalist and author Douglas Valentine spoke in his book, The CIA as Organized Crime, that we have used in the past, of the society 
of spectacle, and that is what we are having in uh, the in, in relation to the Ukraine war. It is a society of spectacle that is featuring a really grotesque, almost satanic type of violence porn, where in addition to the endless pictures of uh, blown-up buildings or ruined buildings and or burning or destroyed Russian tanks, we're seeing the endless uh, footage or still photographs of uh, fleeing refugees, crying widows, uh, injured or crying babies, what have you, and... Uh, Make no mistake about it, in the West, uh, they are loving every minute of it, as the song said. And uh, the weeping and, frankly, hypocritical liberals who are uh, so ostensibly agreed by this and who systematically ignored the massive, overwhelming signs of Nazification in Ukraine, something that I have covered ad nauseum, perhaps for some listeners' taste, uh, since the Maidan coup in 2014, just over eight years ago. I've recapped some of that in the programs that I have done so far, a little more in this one. They, too, are really loving every minute of it, and for all the weeping and tearing of hair, they have really in many ways authored the things that are going on. But there is tremendous distortion in the news. Exactly what is going on, I don't know. The only thing I know for sure is we are being lied to. Uh, The OUNB successor organizations in Ukraine used provocations as a matter of course. In fact, the sniper fire that uh, triggered the Maidan coup uh, was itself a provocation coming from Svoboda, or the Social National Party of Ukraine. I will guarantee you that some of the uh, carnage being wrought on civilians is provocation. How much, I don't know, can't say, because again, we're just not getting accurate battlefield reportage. Uh, or, or much of anything else. There has been reported whether it's actually taking place or whether it's like the uh, Iraqi soldiers uh, detaching the Kuwaiti babies from uh, incubators and uh, throwing them to their deaths as they reportedly did after the, the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait in 1990. Turns out that was a lie. Uh, whether there is actually widespread bombardment of civilian areas, uh, that may be. Uh, it may also be that, as the Russians have alleged, uh, as often other uh, Ukrainian military units are using civilian facilities as cover. That is not an uncommon tactic in wartime, certainly not pecu- not uh, limited to or... Uh, only manifested by the OUNB and successful organization units in Ukraine. But exactly what is going on, I don't know. I do know that we need to take an awful lot of the reportage with a generous dose of salt because uh, whatever is going on with regard to widespread bombardment of civilian areas in Ukraine, which may be going on, I don't know, there is certainly widespread bombardment of civilian areas in the U.S. by large caliber fresh fertilizer munitions. We are being bombarded indiscriminately with 8 and 16 inch fresh fertilizer shells and they are landing all over the place and splattering that uh, warhead content all over the place. 
And in addition, we are also being targeted with precision-guided fresh fertilizer missiles. Uh, I don't think in light of the fresh fertilizer content of the warheads, we could call them cruise missiles. I don't know what we would call them, perhaps ooze missiles under the circumstances, but there is plenty of fresh fertilizer being splattered all over the place, and it makes accurate reportage uh, very difficult and perhaps in some cases impossible. Exemplifying the type of alchemy, uh, political, historical, and ideological alchemy and journalistic alchemy that the war and its attendant coverage are uh, bringing to pass in the West is, again, the contrast between an op-ed piece that was in the New York Times of Sunday, March 6th, by Liv L.E.V. Galinkin, G-O-L-I-N-K-I-N. He is... an expatriate Ukrainian Jew who also uh, authored a uh, piece in the Nation magazine in February of 2019 that we are going to read about, read from, I should say. And it is really striking to see the complete absence of any mention in the New York Times op-ed piece, perhaps... Perhaps not surprisingly, uh, but there is no mention in the New York Times piece of what is mentioned in the Nation piece. I began reading that, or rereading that. I've uh, featured that in For the Record Programs 1071 and 1072 from calendar year 2019, and also uh, referred to it briefly in For the Record Program 1073, and we came back to it last week as well. The name of that article, and again, it is in striking contrast to the Orwellian op-ed piece in the New York Times. The name of that piece from the Nation magazine of February 22nd of 2019 by Lev Golinkin, Neo-Nazis and the Far Right are on the March in Ukraine. Uh, and even this piece stops far short of what could be discussed. Even this piece, far above the... Uh, op-ed piece in the New York Times a week plus ago. Uh, there is, it, it is striking to see the difference between what Lev Lincoln wrote in 2019 and what he wrote in March of 2022. Uh, skipping down in the article and overlapping with what we read last week, Speaking of Andrew, Andrey Parabli, the Speaker of the Parliament of Ukraine and uh, the co-founder of the Social National Party of Ukraine, later Svoboda, when asked about it in a 2016 interview, Parabli replied that his, quote, values, unquote, haven't changed. Parabli, whose autobiography shows him marching with the neo-Nazi Vulsangel symbol used by Aryan nations, regularly meets with Washington think tanks and politicians. His neo-Nazi background is ignored or outright denied. Even more disturbing is the far right's penetration of law enforcement. Shortly after Maidan, the U.S. equipped and trained the newly founded National Police in what was intended to be a hallmark program buttressing Ukrainian democracy. 
The Deputy Minister of the Interior, which controls the National Police, is Vadim, V-A-B-I-M, Troyan, T-R-O-Y-A-N, a veteran of Azov and Patriot of Ukraine. In 2014, when Troyan was being considered for the police chief of Kiev, Ukrainian Jewish leaders were appalled by his neo-Nazi background. Today, he's deputy of the department running U.S.-trained law enforcement in the entire nation. Earlier this month, Radio Free Europe reported on national police leadership admiring Stefan Bondera, a Nazi collaborator and fascist whose troops participated in the Holocaust on social media. I would add that the official salute of the Ukrainian National Police and the Ukrainian military is the official salute of the OUNB and UPA, glory to Ukraine, glory to the heroes. That has also morphed into the anthem of the, quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong, uh, courtesy of elements of party sector, and the Azov Battalion, which had decamped under the organization Ghanor, funded by an, an EGU, NGO. I will also note that in Xinjiang province, the propaganda about, quote, genocide, unquote, there is being disseminated by a another fellow traveler of this uh, same milieu, and uh, he is a member of the a fellow with the victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, co-founded by OUNB successor organization member uh, Lev Dobryansky, and none other than Yaroslav Spetsko. And uh, Yaroslav Spetsko is the, was the wartime head of the collaborationist government of, of the uh, OUNB uh, in Ukraine during World War II. Adrian Zenz, by the way, is that gentleman's name. Uh, so do note that this, this obtains to the destabilization of China as well as we have spoken about in many programs. But it's even more than just having Vadim Troyan, uh, head of the police chief. Uh, they have adopted the salute of the OUNB and UPA, as has the Ukrainian military. And continuing with the Galinkin article, the fact that Ukraine's police is peppered with far-right supporters explains why neo-Nazis operate with impunity on the streets. And the next section of the article, state-sponsored glorification of Nazi collaborators. Ukrainian extremists celebrate Ukrainian Nazi SS divisions in the middle of a major Ukrainian city, the Anti-Defamation League Director of European Affairs, April 28, 2018. It's not just the military and street gangs. Ukraine's far right has successfully hijacked the post-Maidan government to impose an intolerant and ultra-nationalist culture over the land. In 2015, the Ukrainian parliament passed legislation making two World War II paramilitaries, the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, or OUN, and the Ukrainian Insurgent Army, or UPA, Heroes of Ukraine, and made it a criminal offense to deny their heroism. The OUN had collaborated with the Nazis and participated in the Holocaust, while the UPA slaughtered thousands of Jews and 70 to 100,000 Poles on their own volition. The government-funded Ukrainian Institute of National Memory is institutionalizing the whitewashing of Nazi collaborators. 
Last summer, the Ukrainian parliament featured an exhibit commemorating the OUN's 1941 proclamation of cooperation with the Third Reich. Imagine the French government installing an exhibit celebrating the Vichy state. And again, uh, speaking of repeating that last couple of sentences, the government-funded Ukrainian Institute of National Memory is institutionalizing the whitewashing of Nazi collaborators. That is headed up by Volodymyr Vyotrovich, former education minister, and on uh, very good uh, networking terms with the current Ukrainian minister of education. Continuing with the Levko Lincoln Nation piece. Torchlight marches in honor of OUN UPA leaders like Roman Chukhevich, a commander in a third black auxiliary battalion, are a regular feature of the new Ukraine. The recuperation even extends to SS Garushina, a Ukrainian division of the Waffen SS. The director of the Institute of National Memory proclaimed that the SS fighters were war victims, unquote. The government's embrace of Bandera is not only deplorable, but also extremely divisive, considering the OUN UPA are reviled in eastern Ukraine. One more time. Again, when I talk about an Orwellian rewrite of World War II history, this is what we're talking about. The recuperation of... The, one more time, Torchlight marches in honor of OUN UPA leaders like Roman Shukhevich, a commander in a Third Reich Auxiliary Battalion, are a regular feature of the new Ukraine. The recuperation even extends to SS Kalashina, a Ukrainian division of the Waffen SS. The director of the Institute of National Memory proclaimed that the SS fighters were, quote, war victims, unquote. The government's embrace of Bandera is not only deplorable, but also extremely divisive, considering the OUN UPA are reviled in eastern Ukraine. Note that the 14th Waffen-SS Division, its fighters were war victims, unquote. That is what the Institute of National Memory says anyway. Continuing. Predicting. Beginning again. Predictably, the celebration of Nazi collaborators has accompanied a rise in outright anti-Semitism. Jews out, trampled thousands during a January 2017 march honoring OUN leader Bandera. The next day, the police denied hearing anything anti-Semitic. That summer, a three-day festival celebrating the Nazi collaborator Shukhevich capped off with the firebombing of the synagogue. In 2017, Radio Free Europe reported Nazi salutes as 20,000 marched in honor of the UPA. And last April, hundreds marched in the Vogue with coordinated Nazi salutes honoring the SS Galushima. The march was promoted by the Lvov regional government. Uh, and we'll begin at Shukhevich first, uh, celebrating Roman Shukhevich, a, quote, hero of the Ukraine, unquote, and the head of the Einsatzgruppe in Nachtigall, coincided with the beginning of the 1941 pogrom uh, effected by the Einsatzgruppe in Nachtigall, in which some four to 5,000 Jews were killed, including what the Soviets used to call uh, street humiliations, uh, Women Jews were taken and they were stripped naked, often raped, and then killed often by having their throats cut. And this was after they were paraded naked or almost naked through the streets. And uh, again, those were termed street humiliations and by the Soviets. Continuing. 
The Holocaust Revisionism is a multi-pronged effort ranging from government-funded seminars, brochures, and board games to the proliferation of plaques, statues, and streets renamed after butchers of Jews to far-right children camps where youth are inculcated with ultra-nationalist ideology. Within several years, an entire generation will be indoctrinated to worship Holocaust perpetrators as national heroes. The next section is called Book Bans. No state should be allowed to interfere in the writing of history, unquote. British, British historian Anthony Beaver, B-W-E-V-O-R, after his award-winning book was banned in Ukraine, this from the Daily Telegraph of January 23rd of 2018. Ukraine's State Committee for Television and Radio Broadcasting is enforcing the glorification of Ukraine's new heroes by banning, quote, anti-Ukrainian, unquote, literature that goes against the government narrative. This ideological censorship includes acclaimed books by Western authors. In January of 2018, Ukraine made international headlines by banning Stalingrad by award-winning British historian Anthony Beaver because of a single paragraph about the Ukrainian unit massacring 90 Jewish children during World War II. In December, Kiev banned The Book Thieves by Swedish author Anders Rydell, which ironically is about the Nazi suppression of literature because he mentioned troops loyal to Samyon Simeon Petlyura, an early 20th century nationalist leader, had slaughtered Jews. This month, the Ukrainian embassy in Washington exported this intolerance to America by brazenly demanding that the U.S. ban a Russian movie from American theaters. Apparently, the billions Washington invested in promoting democracy in Ukraine have failed to teach Kiev basic concepts of free speech. And then the, the, next, the following quote, I'll give you some context. We spoke about this in For the Record 1230, as well as, again, in other programs. I'm telling you one more time, go to hell, kikes. The Ukrainian people have had it to hear with you, unquote. And that is a quote from a gentleman described here as Security Services Reserve General Vasily Volk, V-O-V-K. Uh, he also was the Ukrainian SBU, that's the Ukrainian Intelligence Service Officer, who investigated the downing of Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 and concluded, not surprisingly, that it was Russia that did it. Uh, a painstaking dissection and coverage of the shootdown of MH17 was put together for consortium news by the late Robert Perry, and it concluded that, in fact, the shootdown was performed by Ukrainian military personnel, not Russian. Uh, I'm very suspicious about the death of uh, Robert Perry. Uh, cancer is one of the intelligence service's favorite ways of getting rid of people, and he died uh, of cancer in uh, the beginning of 2018. But again, this guy here is not just a security services reserve general. He was the SBU Ukrainian intelligence officer in charge of the, quote, investigation, unquote, of the shootdown of Flight MH17. I'm telling you one more time. Go to hell, kikes. The Ukrainian people have had it to hear with you, unquote. Great stuff. And uh, Golinkin goes on. Unsurprisingly, Government-led glorification of Holocaust perpetrators 
was a green light for other forms of anti-Semitism. The past three years saw an explosion of swastikas and SS wounds on city streets, death threats, and vandalism of Holocaust memorials, Jewish centers, cemeteries, tombs, and places of worship, all of which led Israel to take the unusual step of publicly urging Kiev to address the epidemic. By the way, we're going to talk about a different kind of epidemic uh, overlapping the circumstances of the war there, uh, and that is the SARS-CoV-2 epidemic, but that is coming up. Continuing, public officials make anti-Semitic threats with no repercussions. These include a security services general promising to eliminate the Zidi, a sort of equivalent of the Kikes, that was uh, the aforementioned Mr. Volk, a parliament deputy going off on an anti-Semitic rant on television, a far-right politician lamenting that Hitler didn't finish off the Jews, and an ultra-nationalist leader vowing to cleanse Odessa of Zidi. For the first few years after Maidan, Jewish organizations largely refrained from criticizing Ukraine, perhaps in the hope Kiev would address the issue on its own. But by 2018, the increasing frequency of anti-Semitic incidents led Jewish groups to break their silence. Last year, the Israeli government's annual report on anti-Semitism heavily featured Ukraine, which had more incidents than all post-Soviet states combined. The World Jewish Congress, the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum, and 57 members of the U.S. Congress all vociferously condemned Kiev's Nazi glorification and concomitant anti-Semitism. That, by the way, has all been alchemically transformed by the war and its coverage, and now all the uh, members of Congress are all wearing their Ukrainian flags or sunflowers or what have you. Uh, brings to mind uh, uh, Ambrose Bierce's observation in the 19th century, the quote, War is God's way of teaching Americans geography. Most Americans could not identify Ukraine on a map uh, a few years ago, and now everybody is uh, all in. They, they, I stand with Ukraine, blah, 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 blah. Again, there is an alchemical transformation of the West and most of its institutions and people in it by the war and its attendant coverage. They are all becoming the equivalent or the, of the same fabric as the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory. Continuing with Bill Lincoln's article, Ukrainian Jewish leaders are also speaking out. In 2017, the director of one of Ukraine's largest Jewish organizations published a New York Times op-ed urging the West to address Kiev's whitewashing. Last year, 41 Ukrainian Jewish leaders denounced the growth of anti-Semitism. That's especially telling, given that many Ukrainian Jewish leaders supported the Maidan uprising. None of these concerns have been addressed in any meaningful way. And next, there is discussion of the Roma pogroms. By the way, note that there's, uh, that uh, Volodymyr Zelensky has been championed as uh, you know this this wonderful uh, the the Jewish. Winston Churchill of uh, Ukraine, and uh, his Jewish affiliation is being cited as proof that Ukraine couldn't be, uh, that that, that, uh, Putin's state of war and aim of denazification is just pure poppycock. It isn't pure poppycock. Unfortunately, I wish it were. And the next section of the article, Roma pogroms. They wanted to kill us, unquote. Masked 
neo-fascists strike fear into Ukraine's Roma. This from the Guardian of August 27th of 2018. Ukraine's far right has resisted carrying out outright attacks on Jews. Other vulnerable groups haven't been so lucky. Last spring, a lethal wave of anti-Roma pogroms swept through Ukraine with at least six attacks in two months. Footage from the pogroms evokes the 1930s. Armed thugs attack women and children while raising their camps. At least one man was killed, while others, including a child, were stabbed. Two gangs behind the attacks, C-14 or Combat 14, and the National Brigina, that's the National Brigina Militia of the Azov Battalion, felt comfortable enough to proudly post pogrom videos on social media. That is not surprising, considering that the National Brigina is part of Azov, while the neo-Nazi C-14 receives government funding for, quote, educational, unquote, programs. Last October, C-14 leader Sergei Bondar was welcomed at America House Kiev, a center run by the U.S. government. Appeals from international organizations and the U.S. Embassy fell on deaf ears. Months after the U.N. demanded Kiev end, quote, systematic persecution of the Roma, a human rights group reported C-14 were allegedly intimidating Roma in a joint patrol with the Kiev police. And next, LBGP and women's rights groups. It's even worse than before how the revolution of dignity, unquote, failed LGBT Ukrainians from Radio Free Europe, November 21st, 2018. In 2016, after pressure from the U.S. Congress, the Kiev government began providing security for the annual Kiev Pride Parade. However, this increasingly looks like a Potemkin affair. Two hours of protection with widespread attacks and LGBT individuals and gatherings during the rest of the year. One more time. However, this increasingly looks like a Potemkin affair. Two hours of protection with widespread attacks on LGBT individuals and gatherings during the rest of the year. Nationalist groups had targeted LGBT meetings with impunity, going so far as to shut down an event hosted by Amnesty International, as well as assault a Western journalist at a transgender rights rally. Women's rights marches have also been targeted, including brazen attacks in March. Attacks on the press. The Committee to Protect Journalists condemns a Ukrainian law enforcement raid at the Kiev offices of media holding Vesti, more than a dozen masked officers, ripped open doors with crowbars, seized property, and fired tear gas in the offices. This from the Committee to Protect Journalists, February 9th of 2018. In May of 2016, Mirot Varets, an ultra-nationalist website with links to the government, published the personal data of thousands of journalists who have obtained accreditation from Russia-backed rebels in eastern Ukraine. Marat Varets labeled the journalists, quote, terrorist collaborators, unquote. A government pod website declaring open season on journalists would be dangerous anywhere, but it is especially so in Ukraine, which has a disturbing track record of journalist assassinations. This includes Olesh 
Bujina, gunned down in 2015, and Pavel Sheromet, assassinated by car bomb a year later. In past postings, by the way, we have noted the apparent involvement of elements of Ukrainian intelligence with those assassinations. Continuing. The Marot boxing was denounced by Western reporters, the Committee to Protect Journalists, and ambassadors from the G7 nations. In response, Kiev officials, including Interior Minister Arsen Avakov, praised the site, quote, This is your choice to cooperate with occupying forces, Avakov told journalists, while posting, I support Marot Varets on Facebook. Marot Varets remains operational today. Last fall, brought another attack on the media, this time using the courts. The Prosecutor General's office was granted a warrant to seize records of Radio Free Europe anti-corruption reporter Natalie Sedletska. A Radio Free Europe spokesman, spokeswoman warned that Kiev's actions created a, quote, chilling atmosphere for journalists, unquote, while Parliament Deputy Mustafa Nayem called it, quote, an example of creeping dictatorship, unquote, before continuing. In addition to the attacks on Ukrainian journalists, uh, or a, uh, an online subsidiary of same called Prop or Not has also been involved, uh, with the attempts at, uh, passing off Donald Trump's, uh, election on Russia and with, uh, basically, uh, any attacking American journalists who, uh, were willing to tell the truth about what is going on in Ukraine. Uh, a uh, woman named Alexandra Chalupa was very much involved with the Clinton forces in the wake of her defeat in 2016, helping to generate the Russiagate nonsense. Noting attacks on the Roma, attacks on Jews, attacks on the press, uh, this continues. Language laws. Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk also made a personal appeal to Russian-speaking Ukrainians, pledging to support a special status to the Russian language. This from U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry on April 24th of 2014. Ukraine is extraordinarily multilingual. In addition to the millions of Russian-speaking Eastern Ukrainians, there are Hungarian, Romanian, and other tongues prevalent. These languages were protected by a 2012 regional language law. The post-Maybaum government alarmed Russian-speaking Ukrainians by attempting to annul that law. The U.S. State Department and Secretary of State John Kerry sought to assuage fears in 2014 by pledging that Kiev would protect the status of Russian. Those promises came to naught. A 2017 law mandated that secondary education be conducted strictly in Ukrainian, which infuriated Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, and Greece. Several regions passed legislation banning the use of Russian in public life. Quotas enforce Ukrainian usage on TV and radio. This would be akin to Washington forcing Spanish-language media to broadcast mostly in English. And in February of 2018, Ukraine's Supreme Court struck down the 2012 regional language law, the one Kerry promised Eastern Ukrainians would stay in effect. Currently, Kiev is preparing to pass a Baconian law that would mandate the use of Ukrainian in most aspects of public life. 
It is another example of Kiev alienating millions of its own citizens while claiming to embrace Western values. And uh, I would note, too, uh, we'll, we'll take up perhaps in the later broadcast uh, another thing that has been poo-pooed. Uh, Putin, in his address on the, the talking about the war, talked about genocide against the Russian-speaking citizens, the ethnic Russians in the Donetsk Republic, the secessionist areas of Lukonsk and Donetsk province. While they haven't been massacred, they certainly have been the focal point of extreme violence, and uh, there have been threats uh, by not only the Nazi groups in Ukraine, but by allied politicians to wipe them out. And I would note that the actual UN definition of genocide, the international legal definition, uh, basically in addition to the common understanding of that, which is wiping them physically off the face of the earth, uh, concerns the erasure of national identity. When you mandate that a people stop using their language, and for the ethnic Russians, that is obviously Russian in their civic and daily life, that is a big step toward genocide if those uh, ethnic Russians had not seceded and taken up arms, uh, I would not rule out the possibility that indeed their physical elimination would have been largely affected. Had the 125,000 Ukrainian army troops that were poised on the border of the Donetsk Republic gone ahead and reconquered that by force, as appears to have been uh, contemplated, uh, who knows what would have happened to those ethnic Russians. But, but the aforementioned Adrian Zenz has been uh, publishing the absolute nonsense about uh, genocide being perpetrated against the Uyghurs in Xinjiang because the Chinese government has basically uh, obliged that people in Xinjiang, the Uyghurs, uh, conform to the same limitations on childbearing, no more than three children, that other Chinese ethnic groups, including and especially the dominant Han Chinese, have been obliged to do for years. In other words, in the Uyghurs have been obliged to conform to the same reproductive laws that the rest of the Chinese have been uh, obliged to uh, obey. That is not Genocide, but that has been spun by uh, OUNB affiliate uh, Adrian Zins to do that. Again, he's part of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. That is a spin-off of the Captive Nations, co-founded by Lev Dobrievsky and Yaroslav Stetsko. Uh, the last segment here of the article by Lev Golinkin is perhaps the most important. It's called The Price of willful blindness. These examples are only a tiny fraction of Ukraine's slide toward intolerance, but they should be enough to point out the obvious. Washington's decision to ignore the proliferation of armed Nazi groups in a highly unstable nation only led to them gaining more power. In essay after essay, B.C. foreign policy heads have denied or celebrated the influence of Ukraine's far right. Curiously, the same analyst vociferously denounced rising nationalism in Hungary, Poland, and Italy as highly dangerous. Perhaps think tankers deluded themselves into thinking Kiev's far-right phase would tucker itself out. More likely, they simply embraced D.C.'s go-to strategy of, quote, 
my enemy's enemy is my friend, unquote. Either way, the ramifications stretch far beyond Ukraine. America's backing of the Maybaum uprising, along with the billions D.C. sinks in the post-Maybaum Kiev, make it clear. Starting February of 2014, Ukraine became Washington's latest democracy-spreading project. What we permit in Ukraine sends a green light to others. By tolerating neo-Nazi gangs and battalions, state-led Holocaust distortion, and attacks on LGBT and Roma, the United States is telling the rest of Europe, quote, we're fine with this, unquote. The implications, especially at the time of a global far-right revival, are profoundly disturbing. Well, that pretty much says it and sums up the Galinkin article, but again, his March 6th op-ed piece in the New York Times did not mention one word about that. And even that article could be viewed as modified, limited hangout, really does not talk about the identifiable thread stretching from the OUNB right down up to the CIA, the Galen Organization, the ABN, the Republican Party, on up to the Maidan coup, and people like Roman Zvarich. We, however, will trace the evolution and how uh, those lies, basically, we, beca- we belong to the lies that we have been believing. Uh, some more aspects of uh, the alchemy that the war and its attendant coverage is performing, basically transforming the West and its institutions into the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory. An interesting article uh, from uh, CNN, or a, a, a broadcast, Russia-Ukraine News by Aditi Sangal, Adrian Vogt, Meg Wagner, Melissa Makava, and Julia Hollingsworth, Jesse Young, Adam Renton, Jeevan Ravindran, and Jason Kurtz from March CNN, March 11th of 2012. And this is an Orwellian rewrite as well. Uh, there has been a lot of coverage of the fact that uh, Ivan Fedorov, uh, I may be mispronouncing that, I-V-A-N, last name F-E-D-O-R-O-V, he is the mayor of Melitopol. He was led away by Russian troops and uh, charged with being affiliated with right sector or probably sector. That is one of the OUNB successor organizations that we have examined. Indeed, it was basically the political front set up by the final iteration of the UPA. And uh, there is a very, most of the articles haven't mentioned anything about uh, the nature of right sector. Uh, the coverage in the West has basically aped Volodymyr Zelensky, who likened this to an ISIS kidnapping, which again is just remarkable. But noting the following, the mayor of Melitopol, Ivan Fedorov, was seen on video being led away by armed men from a government building in the city on Friday, and the prosecutor's office for the separatist Russia-backed Lukansk region now says they are weighing terrorism charges against him. Fedorov's detention by the armed men is the first known instance of a Ukrainian political official being detained and investigated by Russian or Russian-backed forces since the invasion began. According to a message on the Lukansk prosecutor's website, Fedorov is being accused of assisting and financing terrorist activities and being part of a criminal community. The Lukansk 
prosecutor's office claimed that Fedorov was a member of right sector. CMN has previously reported on the group. Uh, CMN has previous, previously reported that the group is a Ukrainian nationalist paramilitary and political group that operates in Ukraine. It has an anti-Russian stance, but independent observers say it's not the fascist threat that Russian President Vladimir Putin claims it to be. Well, yes it is. <laughs> it's basically a Nazi organization. And uh, Dmitry Yarosh, uh, its head, is an advisor to the head of the Ukrainian armed forces. And that is, well, really quite uh, remarkable. The uh, other coverage of the... I'm uh, trying to bring in a bit of material from uh, earlier, but we're going to go into that in uh, uh, our next program. But the uh, latest development in what has uh, taken place in uh, the Ukraine war, really it, it, it uh, could be said to be uh, the uh, the title of this, uh, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lie Meets the Oswald Institute of Virology. But before talking about uh, Ivan Fedorov, uh, this is one of the very few articles that even talks about right sector. Others have claimed that uh, you know, he was charged with being a member of right sector. The New York Times described him as fit, lanky, and photogenic. Well, that tells you nothing. I, I don't know whether he was actually a member of right sector and uh, did what he is alleged to have done. But the claim that it's not the fascist threat that Putin claims it is, is simply a lie. <laughs> it's just not true. And again, that CNN article, even, even that is better than most of the other coverage, which, uh, again, talks about, uh, it, it parrots, in essence, uh, Zelensky's claim that this is an ISIS-style kidnapping, which is wild, particularly since uh, uh, ISIS fighters had uh, worked with Pravi Sector in uh, the civil war against the Lukansk, Gnetsk, um, uh, the next breakaway uh, sectors. Uh, perhaps we should review that in our next program. We, we've spoken about that in the past, but it is just amazing to watch this perversion of reality. But one of the latest elements, as I've stated, I think this op is an attempt at regime change in Moscow. I think that this is a European iteration of the Afghanistan gambit in which Zbigniew uh, Brzezinski, uh, Jimmy Carter's national security advisor, established a covert operation that lured the Soviet Union into invading Afghanistan. We were told at the time, well, the Soviets just invaded Afghanistan, blah, blah, blah. It turns out that Zbigniew Brzezinski had put together a covert operation to lure them in in order to give them, quote, their Vietnam, unquote, as part of the successful destabilization of the Soviet Union. I opine that the invasion by Putin was basically, uh, he was baited into doing this, and what we're seeing is a European iteration of the Afghanistan gambit. Uh, by the way, Ian Brzezinski, uh, Spignev Brzezinski's son, is a key fellow with the Atlantic Council, one of the OUN-affiliated think tanks that is most involved in the conflict. In addition to an apparent 
staging of a military attempt at reconquering the Donetsk Republic, uh, in which 125,000 troops, according to the Stephen Starr article we read a couple of weeks ago, were massed on the Ukrainian border. Uh, Ukraine was either going for NATO membership or nukes, uh, as we looked at in that Stephen Starr article from Consortium News. And uh, they also, as it turns out, apparently would have had access to U.S. biological weapons. Russia charged that in the U.N., and it got the usual treatment in the U.S. and in the West in general. However, little bits of the truth filtered out. I'm not really going to have a chance to do justice to this, but uh, we'll talk about this at greater length. A Guardian article on March 11th of 2022 by Ed Pilkington, P-I-L-K-I-N-G-T-O-N. What are Russia's biological weapons claims and what's actually happening? The UN Security Council met on Friday to discuss Moscow's claims that the U.S. is funding military biological activities in Ukraine. And uh, it talks about those, the, the Russian ambassador to the UN, Vasily Nabenzia, evoked the terrifying specter of an uncontrolled spread of bioagents from Ukraine across Europe. And, of course, this was poo-pooed by the U.S. And uh, uh, about this, and we'll, we'll go into these articles at greater length in uh, the next program, but those art charges in uh, the UN, the allegations were quickly amplified by China, which supported the claims during Friday's UN Security Council debate. We'll talk about that. Uh, It's not surprising that they did that. Uh, You know, as we attempt to dodge the fresh fertilizer missiles, both the 8- and 16-inch fresh fertilizer shells being indiscriminately lobbed into civilian areas, plus the precision-guided ooze missiles with fresh fertilizer warheads. Uh, sometimes you have to sort of be like a Shakespearean detected uh, in the section of the Guardian article. How have the U.S. and Ukrainian governments responded? Ukraine's ambassador to the world, Bobby, Sergei Kizlitsia, used more colorful language. He called the idea being advanced by Russia a bunch of insane delirium, unquote. Uh, Methinks he doth protest too much. So do biolabs exist inside Ukraine, and is the U.S. supporting them? Yes, and yes. Ukraine does operate biological laboratories, which receive U.S. funding. Uh, as I noted in the past, the difference between offensive and defensive biological warfare research is simply semantic. If you are researching how we beasties infect, sicken, and kill plants, animals, or humans, it is the same research whether you call it, quote, offensive, unquote, or, quote, defensive, unquote. And we have basically experience an RMA, a revolution in military affairs, because basically it's a revolution in medical affairs. The CRISPR-9 technology, as we looked at in a June 2018 Guardian article, permits basically the synthesis from scratch of any mammalian virus once the genome has been published. So once that becomes public, basically it's KV bar the door. Now of these labs... Uh, Victoria Newland, Newland did not answer the question head on. Ukraine has biological research facilities. 
and uh, talking about this. We are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of these research materials from falling into the hands of Russian forces. About that program, the scheme was originally known as the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program. That is a subsidiary of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. We'll uh, document that in uh, a, with a link in this program. That is one of the programs under which the uh, Eco Health Alliance, headed up by ethnic Ukrainian Peter Bezhek, funded research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology by Xi Jing Li. And that is the uh, individual and the laboratory that I have termed the Oswald Institute of Virology and with the focal point of the lab leak hypothesis. The uh, Cooperative Threat Reduction Program is a subsidiary of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which is the largest, its largest military contractor is the Eco Health Alliance. And in an article that we have looked at from Organic Consumers Association of September 24th of 2020, Xi Jinping weaponizing coronaviruses with Pentagon funding at a Chinese military lab by Alexis Bob Mayer. We talk from, from the Genetic Consumers Association. We talk about that at length. And a New York Times article. Uh, the New York Times, March 12, 2022. Theory on U.S.-funded bioweapons lab is baseless by Linda QIU. Predictable. Um, the... Again, the aforementioned Defense Threat Reduction Agency is a major funder of EcoHealth Alliance. They have been deeply involved in bat-borne coronavirus research in China and elsewhere. And uh, we'll talk about that. I'll put links to, for the record, 1170 and for the record, 1183 and 1184 that talk about the direct links between DTRA, a subsidiary of which is the uh, Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, Frederick Pope, uh, a Pentagon spokesperson, uh, has basically weighed in in the New York Times article. In the March interview with the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, Mr. Pope also echoed Ms. Newland's concerns about the laboratories falling into Russia's hands. He spoke specifically about the Pentagon's support of 14 veterinary laboratories that provide Ukraine with sampling and diagnostic ability to detect infectious diseases. Uh, Fourteen Pentagon-supported veterinary labs. Again, uh, Robert Pope is the director of the Pentagon's Cooperative Threat Reduction Program. That is a subsidiary of DTRA, which helped to fund Xi Jinping's work and is a major financer of the EcoHealth Alliance. The Pentagon is in the business of war fighting. That's about killing people and destroying property. They are not in the business of taking care of little puppy dogs and little kitty cats. But we will elaborate on this because this is an inadequately brief and excerpted treatment of the subject. We will expand on this in our next program. This concludes for the record program number 1234. How many lies before you belong to the lie? Part 7 being recorded on March 14th of 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.